Last week, Pastor Sass spoke about Jesus, the ascendant Christ. And if you did not get the podcast or if you weren't here last Sunday, I so encourage you. It is so important that we've got the right revelation, starting point, who Jesus is. So I'm not often one to say, get the podcast, but I'm saying, get the podcast. Before there was Bell Pottinger, before alternative facts, way before all of these things, there was a battle raging over the minds of people. Paul writes to the church at Colossae, much like a Joburg, big business city, but also a lot of spirituality, a lot of religion. And he writes the following, and it's much like Christianity and stuff that isn't Christianity today. He says, don't be deceived. He writes about the great conflict that I have for you. He's praying for them. He's, he's speaking. He's engaging with them. He says, now I say this, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. He's aware of the narratives. He's aware of the arguments. He's aware of everything that's out there on the equivalent to the internet in those days. And he says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy according to the tradition of men. Paul is passionate about it. Now, imagine young men. You meet a beautiful girl, and you start sending her WhatsApp messages, and you're developing this great correspondence relationship. You send her, you tell her about yourself, she sends you, and it's great. And then you put your phone down over lunch and you step outside. And when you come back, you are horrified to find that some joker in your office has taken your phone and has been sending all kind of nonsense to the woman that you love. And you're like, this is not me. <laughs> this is not what I would say. This is not my heart for you. This is exactly what Paul is doing here. He's saying, you need to understand God's heart. You need to understand his passion. You need to understand the truth. And don't get caught up in something which isn't me. God hates the mix of truth with lies simply because he loves us so much. He's so passionate. Just like a young man wants to represent his heart to the woman that he loves. So God wants to speak to you today. And there's a number of areas that Paul speaks about and we're going to touch on today. But first and foremost, we've got to take hold of this foundational truth. This is where it all begins. This is the alpha and the omega. This is the beginning and the end. It is Jesus who has made you alive. It starts off with what he has done. You know, religion says do this, do this, do this, do this in order to be in right standing with God. Go to Mecca, you know, disassemble yourself in Buddhism, etc., etc. You know what Christianity says? You know what Jesus said at the cross? Tetelesta, it is finished. Christianity says, done. Jesus has done it. And it, when it comes to our righteousness, when it comes to us being loved, liked, accepted by God, it starts with what Jesus has done. And we just respond and accept it. And he writes, he says, and when you were dead in your sins, have you ever seen a dead body? I have. It's not great. Okay. You were like that. I was like that. We were corpses. We were dead. And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, just imagine the worst pagan revelry. That's what we were like in spiritual terms. In that state, God came and he made you alive with Christ. He has done it. He forgave us all of our sins. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. 
which stood against us. We were guilty. We were guilty as charged. And he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. All the religions of the world are constantly working towards God. We work from the cross, from the place of being accepted, from the place of being loved. We don't labor, we don't serve because we want his acceptance. We serve from a place of being loved, of being accepted in Jesus. And this is what Paul's trying to say to the Colossians when all these other things are coming into play, all these other heresies and all these other distractions. All that we do from now is we live from the place of relationship. We live from the place of the cross. Now, last week, Simon spoke about Igor the Gnostic. Okay, remember, secret knowledge. And Simon made the point that when a good father lays out an Easter egg hunt, he doesn't make it hard for his children. He makes it an adventure to discover the beautiful things. And so too with God. There isn't secret knowledge that he's hiding from us. He's not hiding from you. It is clear in Scripture, and it is clear by the Holy Spirit, God's heart, and the way to salvation. So when you hear of these, you know, secret, you know, Da Vinci Code, other things, you know, you've got to understand great mysticism. That's not the heart of God, and it's not the truth. So we looked at Eagle the Gnostic. Um, today we're going to look at lawmaking Larry and Helmut the Hippie. And Missy the Minimalist, you can look at yourself. Missy the Minimalist is about asceticism. Asceticism is simply where you feel that you're only walking with God if you're suffering. Okay? I don't think there's a lot of you who do that, right? So that's why I didn't, I didn't emphasize it. And in two weeks' time, we're going to look at Sue the Syncretist. You know what syncretism is? Where you take Christianity and you add a whole lot of other stuff. Now, in European Christianity, they did a whole lot of syncretism. You had situations of adding truth adding to truth other stuff. For instance, praying to Mary, praying to the saints. That's syncretism that came into European Christianity. And uh, Simon's going to talk also about syncretism that's coming to the African context, ancestralism, etc. So I'm glad he's doing it and not me. And, and that's in two weeks' time. <laughs> Today we're going to look at lawmaking Larry and Helmut the hippie. Paul says this, the reality is found in Christ. It's not in your hard labor. It's not in some mysticism. It's not in having to be a hippie. It is found in Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, meet me in Colossians chapter 2. Friends, we have begun by faith. We have begun by following after Jesus. We have begun by following the Holy Spirit. And here, Paul is addressing something that he's very concerned about. And he says, Colossians 2, 16 to 17, he says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regards to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Now, if you grew up as a good Jewish boy before Jesus you would be required to obey the law, the Ten Commandments, and the 631 other commandments. And you know what would happen? You would come to a realization that you can't do it, that you'd be left with an alternative. And every year, Yom Kippur, you'd be crying out to God, Lord, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. But there'd be no path of salvation except for trusting in this Passover lamb. 
we as believers know that the law in itself points to the fact that this is good, this is how you should live your lives, consider the Ten Commandments, this is appropriate, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, honor your father and mother, but the reality is not one of us can live without ever having sinned. Not one of us can stand in our righteousness. So Galatians 3 verse 4 says, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. The law highlights to us what is right, but it also says you can't do it. And therefore we look to Jesus. And Jesus himself has fulfilled for us all the requirements of the law. So now we don't have to celebrate Passover because Jesus is our Passover lamb. And in fact, how you celebrate the Sabbath, you know the Sabbath is actually the Saturday, so none of, I don't think any of you celebrate it. Uh, how you celebrate the Sabbath is no, longer, is no longer a judgment on it because Jesus, you can read it in Hebrews, has become the Sabbath for us. Now, yes, there's a sabbatical principle. It's good to rest. It's good to take a break every seventh day. But he's saying here, you're not under the requirements of the law. Jesus has fulfilled these, and we are in a new covenant. So don't be a legalist. So the first definition I want to say to you, and I know very few of you do this. The first definition of legalism is relying on your observance of the Old Testament laws in order to be righteous. Okay, that's the first definition. But I want to give you a more current definition of legalism. And that is God's laws plus your own rules. And this is what lawmaking Larry does. He struggles and he stumbles. Okay, and we can all relate to that. So he makes a rule to guard himself. Now that's good. So there's certain things for me. If I'm going to go see a movie, I'm looking at the age restriction. I'm going 16, sex, nudity. I'm not watching it. Okay? It's good to put guardrails in for yourself. But this is what happens. He then demands that others adopt his rules. And then what he does is he judges those who do not obey his rules. And it moves into legalism. You know, it's far easier to just be saying, these are the rules, tell me the rules and I'll obey them. What is far more life-giving, far more wonderful, and far more important is that we are following the Holy Spirit. That we are following after God, that we are attentive to his voice. And not just be like, these are the rules, I follow them, I sometimes break them, c'est la vie. We are called to follow after Jesus. So, God's laws are for everyone, but your rules are for yourself. And that's why we're careful from the pulpit to don't put our rules on you, but constantly put before you the gospel and what God's word says. And we need to distinguish between principles and methods. And these rules are often due to fear. You know what happens to Larry? He becomes joyless or he becomes rebellious. Now, if you can't relate to this, I want you to look at it from this perspective. Symptoms of being a modern-day legalist. Firstly, when you sin, when you mess up, you know what you do? You avoid praying. Why? Because it's in your own good works. Instead of Psalm 51, you falling down at your feet like David and saying, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. You create this distance with God. You kind of walk righteously for maybe, depending on you, six hours, six days, six weeks, I don't know, you know, until you feel better in yourself to come to God. And all you're being is a modern-day legalist. It's in your own righteousness, in your own actions. 
Another thing is you skip church when you've sinned. Ooh, I can't go to church now. No, the very place that you should go is to church <laughs> and experience His mercy and His love and His touch and His cleansing and His forgiveness. Another thing a modern-day legalist does is they bargain with God. Lord, I know I shouldn't be sleeping with my boyfriend, but when the tithe comes this time, I'm not going to give 10%. I'm going to give 20%. Do we have a deal, Lord? <laughs> Lord, I, I, I know I'm sinning. I know I'm still doing this. Could you, for, could you just, I'll do this for you, Lord. Another thing we do as legalists, modern-day legalists, is we compare our sin to other people's in order to justify ourselves. Remember the American system, you've got misdemeanors and felonies, and we go like, you know what I do? It's just a misdemeanor. But what they do are felonies. And then we feel justified. Instead of saying, you know, we stand before the holy and righteous God and thank the Lord for Jesus because I would not be able to stand. Instead of justifying yourself by saying, you know, my sin is small, we should just fall at the mercy of God and receive His grace and forgiveness. Another thing as legalists is that we're very aware of sin. We're very sin conscious, but we're not very God conscious. And we're not very conscious of the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we're aware of what we're not doing, but we're not aware of where God is taking us and the things that He has for us. So we're not going forward. We're constantly in the circle of sin and hopefully forgiveness as opposed to hearing God and following after Him. So our following, if we're legalist, is actually, it's mechanistic. And typically it has no prayer and it's no spontaneous praise life. You become like a cultural Christian. You know what it should be and you're just like trying to do it. But you're not drawing from that source of living waters. You're not enjoying relationship with God. And this is the consequence. If you're a modern day legalist, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but I'm saying you're somewhere on the spectrum. There's little joy, and there's not much love, and there's not much victory, and there's very little following the Spirit. And I understand this. We've all been there at times. And like Paul writes to the Colossians, we are saying to you as pastors, don't be in this place of modern-day legalism, but be in this place of following Jesus, of experiencing His life, of being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and not living in this negative cycle of condemnation the whole time. The essence of Christian theology is grace. I don't know who this quote was from, so it's just inverted commas. The essence of Christian theology is grace. And the essence of our response or our practice is gratitude. I had um, Jewish business partners, very orthodox guys, and uh, I got to understand some of the Jewish practices. And, and one of the things that they shared with me is that um, a lot of these guys, and one of my partners did this, he would study the Torah every morning, from like 8 until 1, and then he'd work in the afternoons. But you know, they weren't actually studying the Scripture as we know it. They were studying commentary. And not even commentary, it's like commentary on commentary. And they had to like figure out how to you know, integrate this great sage versus that great sage. And it was law upon law and rule upon rule. You know, and it took a whole lot of mental gymnastics for them to do these things. And what does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God and, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's like the European Union's 20,000 pages on how to do cheese, you know. This, 
This is how the world goes. It's layer upon layer and layer upon laws and rules. And Jesus says, follow me and follow the Holy Spirit. So that's Larry the Legalist. I also want to talk to you about Helmet the Hippie. This is what Helmet does. Helmet sees Christian maturity that it's all about experiences. And the more mature you are, the deeper the revelation or the deeper the experience. You know, it's so interesting. Paul writes about this in in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that he goes up into the third heaven. And then he says, you know, I'm foolish to even represent myself in this way. And then he finishes the chapter. He talks, it's, it's about grace. It's about God's power being perfected in my weakness. You know, if, if some of us, maybe myself, if we'd gone up to heaven, we'd like try to take pictures with our Samsung, you know. We'd try to start a ministry. We'd try to go into all the details about this revelation. Our spiritual experiences, they should make us more like Jesus and not more self-absorbed and not more selfish. So Paul writes about this in Colossians. He says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen, and they're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Look at this. He's saying these people are going to all the details about these other spiritual revelations, third heavens, creatures, angels. They have unspiritual minds, and they've lost connection with God. This is what Helmut, we're using the feminine now. This is what Hilda the hippie wants to do, all right? Okay, so she wants to be close to God, and this is a good thing. Okay, I want to be close to God. All of us should desire more of God. Okay, so, so Hilda wants to be close to God. And um, she or he is dissatisfied with the pace or the path that God has for her or for him. Now, sometimes that's good and sometimes that isn't good. Sometimes God allows a certain amount of dissatisfaction in us to cause us to change, to bring transformation in our soul. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not good. Sometimes God has us exactly where we need to be, and we need to embrace the moment. So depending, it it could be good, it could be bad. But then this is what Hilda does. She creates, or she follows a path that suits her, that is more comfortable for her than that God has for her, that isn't in Scripture. And then what she does is she moves like the the legalist. She recruits others to join or she judges those who aren't as spiritual. Whether she says it directly or not, she's like, well, no, we, we really deep. You, not so much. Your, as it says here at the top, your mystical experiences should cause you to love more, not to judge more. And they should result in greater following after Jesus and greater fruitfulness. So let's carry on looking at some aspects of spiritual maturity. If you are truly mature, if you're truly spiritual mature, you should be passionate for God's presence. You should be seeking greater intimacy with God. You should enjoy being with Him. Yes to that. Amen. 
Secondly, you should be seeking the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about earnestly desire the things of the Spirit, especially that you might prophesy. So we should be, be pressing in for more of God. This is a sign of spiritual maturity. Third, you should seek to be used by God. 2 Corinthians, this passage, our, our women's conference was about this, about becoming vessels of honor, about laying aside distractions, laying aside sins, laying aside things that hold us back, and becoming a vessel that is fit for the master's use, a vessel of gold, silver. And fourthly, we should seek to build up the body. In other words, it's not a selfishness. If, you're, if you consider yourself spiritually mature, if you consider yourself to have revelation, then your desire should be the same desires that Jesus has. And that is desires to build up the body. Desires to advance the kingdom. Desires to make disciples. Desires to reach out to the widow, the orphan, etc. Those should be your passions. A little bit more. If you are spiritually mature, we should be grounded in the Word of God. Now, there are some wild stories in the Bible about raising an axe head from the water, about lying on somebody's body to raise the dead, of spitting into the sand and then making mud and you know, healing somebody's eyes. And God can do whatever He wants to do. But the normative pattern of Scripture, and let's talk about healing, for instance. The normative pattern of Scripture is, and He's given this to us in Hebrews chapter 6, is lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed. Or call the elders and anoint them with oil. So somebody really has to be hearing from God to start spraying something on somebody. Can I get a yes? Can I? Or selling... Something to somebody. We've got to follow what the Word says in regard to these spiritual practices. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 40 says, Do all things with decency and order. You know, even Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls and you know, people are speaking in, in tongues in different languages. And what does Peter do? He gets up and he says, These men are not drunk as you suppose. But this is to fulfill what was prophesied. Now, I am all for the full move of the Holy Spirit. But we are not going to be, be quick to be judging people if they're not conforming exactly to, 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 to some pattern. But we're going to make sure that things are done orderly. So when the Spirit moves upon you, if you laugh, that's awesome. And if you don't laugh, that's okay as well. When the Spirit falls upon you, sometimes I weep, sometimes I laugh. If you start crying, that's okay. That, that's great. But if you don't laugh, that's also okay. Some people fall down. But we are not the church where you have to fall church, or, or you have to laugh church, or you have to cry church. Do you get what I'm saying? And everything should be and can be done in, in, in decency and order. Not this church and, and not within the Every Nation Movement, but I've gone to places where their deliverance sessions are not done with decency, and not done with order, and the poor person who's getting delivered comes away traumatized from the deliverance. Goes into saying 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19, that we should not quench the Holy Spirit, and we're not going to quench the Holy Spirit. We want more of the Holy Spirit 
and we want more signs and wonders. And it says, do not despise prophecy, and we're never going to despise prophecy. But it does say, test all things. What if God says, let two or three prophesy, and let the elders judge? It says, hold fast to what is good. So you could go to a different church, and they might be doing some unusual, inverted commas things. But you know what you can do? You can eat the meat, and you can spit out the bones. Always look for what is good. Always look for what is righteous. Always look for what is God. Please take what I'm saying in the context of this whole sermon series. All right, so you've got to listen to the podcast. So you've got to come because it's important. It's a whole context. And it's about everything that Jesus has for us. Now, in Acts 8 verse 20, you have this very sad situation where this magician wants the Holy Spirit and uh, he wants to pay for this blessing of God. And the apostles turn to him and say, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Now you know that in some churches, if you don't put money in the offering, you can't be there. There are some places where if you don't honor the whatever, okay, you won't be prayed for. Now, I believe in tithing. I believe in giving to the local church. This is what we believe in this house. Please do so. Believe in offerings. But we don't know if you tithe or not in this church as pastors. And we keep it that way. You know why? Because we're not going to treat anybody differently according to what they have given financially and what they haven't. Freely we have received and freely we give. And we're not going to make this transactional because you know what? It's from Jesus and, that, and it's through him and it's all glory to him. And so when it comes to, to the things of the spirit, we can't have the situation. And I'm trying to, we can't have the situation where people are paying for it. We can't have it where it's transactional. I'm trying to give you an inoculation. Okay? I'm trying to give you an inoculation so you don't get this disease. Okay? You don't fall into the pattern of, wild and crazy, and then eventually you get hurt. Eventually you go off the rails, or actually drinking the Kool-Aid of having to pay for things. We will never charge you to come into this church. We'll never charge you for counseling. We'll never charge you for prayer, because this is from God. This is by His Spirit. Amen. As I conclude, uh, sorry, I knew what was dead there. It is Jesus who's given us life. All things are because of what He has done. He has made us alive, and He has forgiven us our sins, and He is the one who gives us the Holy Spirit, and therefore all we are called to do is follow Him, believe in Him, and follow after Him. So when it comes to, to legalism, I mean, it's foolish to rely on our own strength. And when it comes to the things of the Spirit, it's found in Jesus. It's not found in some man. And yes, different people have got different gifts. But you know, on a Sunday morning, we see signs, wonders, miracles. And we just have this amazing ministry team who are just vessels of God. We're not trying to raise up one man or one woman except the man, but not man, the God Jesus. That's who we're trying to put before you. So I trust you've heard the heart of what we're preaching Colossians 2. And I ask you to continue in the sermon series.